Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Lion. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History final. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle butt. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling tricks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by my partner in crime as we hit the college hardwood. You know him as Lucha Larry on gambling Twitter at Larry's Locks 2. I know him as Bill Christie. Bill, it's been a minute. I feel like uh, things have happened and that's life, but it's going to be back talking <laughs> college hoops handicapping with you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in the process of, of moving right now. I just finally finished getting everything out of my house and settling in at my in-laws for a while until I make another move with uh, the fam to a new place. So a little bit of stressful times and makes it a little difficult to get here hooked up with you and put out some information for our people. But we're back and we got a great slate tomorrow lined up for us. And then, of course, we'll be back on for the Saturday slate as well. But like I said, there's there's a great slate going on uh tomorrow night, and before we dive into it, my buddy texted me uh, earlier this afternoon, and I guess he must have been watching one of the Big Ten games tonight, and one of the announcers was saying how they believe that this Big Ten conference is the greatest conference of any conference any year, and at first I was like going to press back against it a little bit, but I'm like, you know what? They might be right. And and the one thing I haven't looked at yet, and I'm going to look it up at some point tomorrow, 
because he said something like the 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 top I think he said fourteen teams or twelve teams are all the top twenty in strength of schedule. But I want to see like the the best ranking that each one of the teams that Big Ten has had throughout the course of the year because I feel like there's been like ten of them that have been easily top ten if not close yeah. to the top five at some point. Um, and that's just it's mind boggling. Like I, I think back to you know probably fifteen between fifteen and twenty years ago when the ACC was just ridiculous. You know, with obviously the blue blood programs like we always talk about, and Maryland was really strong back then, and yeah, and the Big East too. Like, there's just, but when you really put it down, he might they might be right. Like this this conference has been out of this world this year. You know, with you know beating each other up, and then outside of it, you know, playing really really strong out of conference schedules, and time will tell come next month when we get to the big dance and we see what these guys can do come, come tourney time. But, and I mean, I'll, I'll put this conference this year up against anyone in previous. I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no, I mean, Hey Bill, it certainly says a lot about the state of the big 10 right now when Ohio state and Michigan is a bigger game in basketball than football. Yeah, Absolutely. So no. And, and listen, I, I mean, I have a hard time. I, I think the bigger thing that I'm curious about, because there's no doubt that it's the best conference in America, and I'd have to really dive a little deeper into the depth and and just some of the teams and you know in different years how you know how like would the fourth best team in the Big Ten this year how they would fare against you know it actually sounds like a fun thought experiment now that we think about it like mm. how would the fourth best team in the Big Ten from 2020 2021 do against the fourth or third best team from the ACC in 2010, you know, or, yeah. or something like that. It, it does sound like a little fun thought experiment there. But the bigger thing that I'm interested in, Bill, is what's going to happen with these, and we're going to talk about some of them tonight on the pod as we record uh, for a Thursday rotation, Wednesday late evening, actually now early morning hours for us here. But mm-hmm. what's going to happen with these teams that are kind of hovering around 500 in the Big Ten your Indianas, your Maryland's, your Minnesotas, where they're on the bubble, and like, how do they get viewed in comparison to a Drake or somebody else? Not even necessarily a, a Drake. Drake is obviously the most interesting case as far as a bubble team, but just bubble teams from other conferences. Take the Atlantic Ten, for example, where you have Richmond, VCU, and St. Louis all in the mix, and obviously only one of them is going to win the league, provided one of them does win the conference tournament. So how do you think that's going to play itself out with these Big Ten teams whose just straight-up records obviously aren't nearly as good as the other bubble teams, but we know that the strength of schedule works heavily in their favor? Yeah, I feel like, again, we just mentioned that the top whatever 12 teams or something are all in the top 20 of strength of schedule. I feel like it's got to play a part in it. Um. You know, and it's all to the committee, obviously, and very, very, I guess you'd say, subjective when it comes to that. Um, but I feel like they have to put that into consideration with this Big Ten. Like, I, I just, yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Drake, especially when it comes to against the spread. They've been, you know, machines this year. But, you know, when you look at the teams that they're playing night in, night out, it's it's night and day when you compare it to a, 
a team like you said, like in Indiana or, or to a Minnesota, I mean, yeah, Drake could beat them, absolutely. But if you're really looking at the best teams, the strongest teams, you want to get them all in this tournament, you have to go deeper in the Big Ten rather than take a, you know, a second or third tier, not tier, but second or third overall in a mid-major conference. I just don't think in any other year I would I would make the argument against it. But, again, we we just got done talking about how this Big Ten conference might be the best conference of all time. And if that's the case, I mean, Jesus, you're really, we're really going to beat Drake over one of the, you know, middle of the pack of the best conference of all time. I think that, that it looks silly come, you know, at the end of this tournament, but it's going to be interesting to see, you know, as, as always, you're going to have people upset and you're going to have, you know, Dickie V will be out there crying for the mid majors. And Hey, I hear it all the time. And I, I agree with this statement. Everybody's got a chance to get in. You just got to win your conference, you know, and those mid-major programs, I get it. It's it's hard, but, you know, you still have an opportunity no matter what to get into the, the big dance, and that's how you have to do it. You got to take care of your business at home at, at, at your conference tournament. So, you know, if they don't do that, I mean, their argument's kind of dead to me, to be honest, especially this year. So it sounds like, generally speaking, when it comes to these conversations about, you know, potential at-large team from said mid-major conference versus the 10th or 11th team from a power league, you're normally always in a line with the power team getting in. I wouldn't say always. Like I said, I think outside of this year, I would tend to lean more towards that second mid-major program uh, just because I feel like they get put in a tough spot too. Like, they can't really schedule out a conference too much. You know, you're they're locked into their conference. They can only do so much with well, it. Well, Bill, trust me, as a Temple alum, this is going to football, but I've noticed this problem all across the board with the American Athletic Conference kind of being the primary group of five conference in football. And you had, you had Cincinnati this year have such a good year out of that league. Mm-hmm. Uh, Temple, my senior year, was very good. My, uh, it was Matt Rule's final year there in 2016. Uh, Houston, you know, had, had gotten to New Year's Six Bowls. And I've just noticed that uh, in football, and I think it's definitely true in basketball, just to speak your point, like, if you're a consistent winner as a mid-major, then it's going to be hard to get the big non-conference games because, you know, a Big Ten team isn't going to schedule you because they know that, they're going to get plenty of chances in their conference, so why right. challenge themselves too much out of the conference? Exactly. And it's it's crazy that, I mean, you talk about a team like Gonzaga, who's been this program that's been dominant within their conference for so long and, and at the upper echelon on the national stage. You know, I don't know what kind of opportunities are out there, but if they had one to move to a different conference, I mean, in my opinion, they'd be nuts not to, you know, because – Again, nobody really wants to schedule people out of conference that are at that level. It's it's rare because, uh, like you said, why? Why would you, as a big program, why would you schedule them and have an off a chance to lose to a right. major? You know, when you're again, like you said, they're gonna have all these opportunities within the season where they're playing against their conference opponents. If, who are, if you're gonna lose out of conference, you'd rather do it against a Big Twelve team or a right. team, another big conference. Yeah, and a lot of these schools are paying these mid-major programs to play them, and it's like, <laughs> exactly. you know, it's, 
You're getting hit double. You're getting hit in the pocket. And you're yeah, how do you think you felt watching Stephen F. Austin last year go to Durham and win? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plenty of cases of that this year, too. So, But, yeah, typically yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say a little bit. Go beat but. Virginia early in the year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yep, that was one of them. There's a bunch of them this year. Um, but, yeah, I think I would tend to lean a little more towards the mid-majors in previous years. But, again, this year, with the Big Ten being what it is, like I, I'd have no problem with a team like a Minnesota or an Indiana getting in over a team like, say, uh, like Drake or, or one of those other mid-major programs who are, you know, unfortunately going to be on the outside looking in. Because, again, it's just it's just possibly the greatest conference that we've ever seen. So, you know, it's hard to make the case opposing that this year. So perhaps that provides the perfect segue into our picks, as we do have several Big Ten games we are going to explore. Uh, and let's actually start uh, in East Lansing for a 9 o'clock Eastern tip between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Michigan State Spartans. Ohio State, as I said, traveling to East Lansing, laying three and a half on the road, total of 145 and a half in this game. Uh, and I will start, um, and I did not think that I was going to ever bet Michigan State again, uh, <laughs> because I have done, I say again, I don't know how many times I've done it this year, but it's been at least once. Uh, and I, I obviously was just ready to uh, hit the uh, abort button on uh all these blue bloods, and now here they come, right? And here come mm-hmm. the Spartans with a couple of wins as six-and-a-half-point underdogs against Indiana and against Illinois. And I think this is interesting. I always try and compare lines against common opponents or just get a feel for where the lines are going in terms of, well, it closed X and X against this team, and now it's, X and X against this team, and I think those two opponents are equal. So that's kind of also what I'm doing here in kind of just getting a feel for I think this line's a little bit of a trap. It's almost too easy to take Ohio State, in my opinion, coming off that loss against Michigan. Mm-hmm. You would think a lot of people are going to be thinking get right spot for the Buckeyes. And getting back to my point about the lines, so last game for Michigan State, I mentioned those wins against Indiana and Illinois. Last game, the last game was the Illinois game in East Lansing. They win as a six-and-a-half-point home dog, okay? Now, we're seeing, I said three-and-a-half. I'm, I'm about to grab a four right now on my book. Mm-hmm. But, so now we're seeing three-and-a-half's fours, game still in East Lansing, and it's Ohio State. So what that line is telling you, and I don't agree with it, is why I just think the line's wrong and why I think, like, you can't play Ohio State here. Mm-hmm. Are we to believe that Ohio State is two, two-and-a-half points better than Illinois, even though Ohio State just lost at home to Michigan? Like, it just feels a little fishy that the line is this short. Um, and so that it also kind of made me land on Michigan State here. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I guess maybe I shouldn't be stunned that Michigan State is still playing hard because you look up and down this roster, Bill, and it is still a very experienced Michigan State team, right? We know Izzo, for most of his tenure there, hasn't had a ton of one-and-dones. And most of the time, his top dogs are juniors and seniors, and that's just how they roll there in East Lansing. And this year it's Aaron Henry, it's uh, you know uh, Josh Langford and Rocket Watts, guys that have 
been there for at least a year, in a lot of cases two or three in the past. And so it doesn't, when you think about it that way, it doesn't totally surprise me that a team like that would keep playing hard because, again, it's not like a ton of these guys have NBA futures for Michigan State. They're normally just the type of blue blood that produces good college team after good college team. Whereas Duke, on the other hand, I think we know that they've obviously the last decade started to go more and more along the one-and-done route. So I'm a little more surprised by their quote-unquote resurgence, if we can say it, than Michigan State, who, like I said, when you look at the roster complexion, it is a lot of guys that are uh, kind of experienced enough to where you wouldn't expect them to quit. So all of that has me on Michigan State, plus I'm going to take four uh, with the Spartans at home. Yeah, and I'm with you on this one. I'm looking at it more so as, look, Michigan State is doing a typical Michigan State thing here, right? Like we, <laughs> we start to count them out, and Izzo all of a sudden turns them around right around tourney time. They start playing their best basketball. And I was with you. Like, I think it was back against maybe the Purdue game, I think. Uh, oh, I thought they we were out here, the funeral. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that was it. It's done. They're dead. And like you said, they come back and they knock off Indiana on the road. They knock off number five, Illinois, at home. And all of a sudden, there's all this momentum. But on the other side of it, I'm looking at Ohio State. And again, I go back to preseason. I did not believe in this Ohio State team at all. I was wrong. Um, They rattled off an unbelievable season up to this point. Uh, They ran into a buzzsaw at Michigan, losing to them allowing 92 points to them, which most teams in America are going to let up a ton of points to this Michigan team. But now they're going to Michigan State. They're going to East Lansing. But if you look ahead, they still have Iowa next. And I don't know, are they playing Illinois? I know it's – I have to be determined on my one schedule I'm looking at here. But either way, I mean – I'm going to pull it up right now. No, Ohio State. Ohio State. They have – Oh, Ohio State. You know, even if they don't play the Illinois game. Uh, so, Ohio State, they are playing Illinois again. They have they well, end the season home, you said Iowa? Yes. And then home Illinois. Right. So, I mean, when you're backloaded like that with the number nine team and number so five like team in the country. Double look-ahead sandwich spot. It, exactly. Exactly. And it's not to say that they're going to take Michigan State lightly because Michigan State all of a sudden is being talked about again. But, at the but same remember, time, I think to speak to that point more, they won the last meeting by 17. Right, exactly. So it and could that's what be I was yep. Exactly, and that's what I was going to get to next. They, they, they smoked them in the first matchup, he said, by 17. Now the line is only, what you're saying, three or four or something like that? It's super low now. Four. I got four. it. looks like some shops are at three and a half. Yeah, it, it doesn't add up to me. Something, like you said, something sounds off. And that spread in that previous game was almost the same spread. You know, it was about five and a half. So you're five right in that half, same right. area. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make, it doesn't make much sense to me with them being on the road here. I, I like Michigan State. I like them, uh, not a, not a ton. Like, I'm not going to put us as a max play whatsoever. Uh, but I do like the spot with Ohio State being the sandwich and the two look aheads. Um, and then really Michigan State, all they have left on their schedule is Michigan coming up a couple times. But, you know, so this is their, their next and greatest statement they can make. Bang, hit this win. 
And all of a sudden, it's like, how do you leave them out? You're going to be saying. So <laughs> I look, I look how the, quickly the narrative can shift in the Big Ten. It really can. And, and look at that goes back to what we've been saying. It's like if this Michigan State team wasn't in the Big Ten and they were in a, you know, say the ACC maybe, they, this team could be a team who's instead of being 12-9, and nine, they might end up being, you know, 16-5. and five, You know what I mean? Because it's the – the lack of opponents that they would have to play. Yeah, I, I suppose I should have included them when I was talking in that discussion mm-hmm. we were having prior to the picks just about these Big Ten 500 teams and how they're going to be. I mean, Michigan State's getting itself onto that radar now. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this is the win that kind of propels them over that. And, you know, crazy to think after we, you know, had their funeral against Purdue, they're going to be back in the big dance potentially. So hopefully – this win helps them get there um, because we're both on. Outside of that, I care less if they make the tournament or not, to be honest. Yeah, I will say, and I, and I don't really like care a ton if they make it or not. But when we've talked all year about the seemingly, you know, the death of the blue blood, I I don't know about you, Bill. I mean, I know you're an Nova guy. I mean, it, hard for me to say that as a Temple alum, but um, I, I I at least when it comes to the blue bloods, I, I have found myself. I've been a big Izzo guy, you know, his whole career. And uh, if if I had to root for one of these teams, uh, like I find myself m- most years, you know, not even this year, just rooting for Michigan State. So if there was like one of these that I'd like to see turning around, certainly yeah. more so than Duke and Kentucky, it would be the Spartans. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Absolutely. Let's stay in the Big Ten and go to probably the marquee matchup on the Thursday rotation. And that being the Michigan Wolverines welcoming in the Iowa Hawkeyes to Ann Arbor. We're seeing Michigan lay four and a half at home, a total of 155 and a half in this game. Uh, and, Bill, you're going to ride the home chalk here with Michigan. I'm curious your handicap here. I, I couldn't get much of a feel for this side here, so I want to get a feel for why you like Jawan Howard's team. Uh, they're the best team in the country. Arguably, right now. I mean, they. I was going to say, wow. I want to say it tongue in cheek. All year, we're just Baylor Gonzaga, Baylor Gonzaga, Baylor Gonzaga. Exactly. And I and I was one of those people. I was saying, you know, like, yeah, Michigan. We And I said, they were my sleeper team in the Big Ten, but I, I really didn't think they were going to get to this level. And I never thought in a million years they would be able to keep up the level of play that they've had throughout this entire season. But they have. And. When you really look at their roster, speaking of looking at rosters that are strong, my God, this team is absolutely loaded with veteran presence, not just great players. I mean, you talk about the freshman Hunter Dickinson, the big kid, seven foot one, yeah. who I think is going to be a a pivotal piece in this game. Obviously, I was going to say against him and Garza, that should be a fun matchup. Ex- exactly, but the, the the difference to me is. By the way, how about Michigan? I said this to a couple friends during the Michigan-Ohio State game. Mm-hmm. Michigan and the big white guy, like Dickinson, Wagner, Mitch McGarry, uh, John <laughs> Pesky, right? He could yep. stretch the floor. Yep. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but they always have one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that kind of goes back into the, the beeline pedigree, right? Back to when they had Kevin Pitsnoggle when he was at West Virginia with sure. them and stuff like that. So, um, But – uh, the biggest piece, honestly, uh, 
for this Michigan team, at least in my opinion, look, you can sit there and talk about the guys that have been there for a while. You can talk about Isaiah Livers, what he brings. You can talk about Eli Brooks. You can talk about Franz Wagner. Um, but to me, the biggest piece is a transfer, the kid Mike Smith. And sure. I think we mentioned him um, back in the uh, preseason pod when I was talking about them, because, you know, so many transfers, you don't know, really know what you're going to get. He's coming from the Ivy League where he, he had to be a big-time scorer on that team. And he he has fit his role on this team to perfection. I mean, it just seems like whatever they need, if they need a bucket, he can go get it. Um, you know, if they just need the, him to be the distributor, which he can tend to be a lot, he does that. He's just playing unbelievable basketball right now. At the same time, when I flip it over, Iowa has been, like, super up and down. You know, like, it just seems like at times you think, like, wow, this this team is arguably – uh, the next team down below uh, Gonzaga and Baylor, right? Like they have those moments, and they have, well, they have the roster to do it too. You're talking about the, arguably the player of the year in Garza. Then you talk about the guys they have on the outside and Bohannon and Wieskamp and Bohannon. They can all knock and McCaffrey. They can all knock down Frederick. They can all knock down deep shots. Um, but it, it just seems like they they go up and they go down. They go up and they go down and. Unfortunately for them, this Michigan team does not do that. And you look at what they did coming off that long, long hiatus uh, because of COVID, and people kind of counted them out in that game against Ohio State, and they got in there and, and got the job done. The other piece of that is this Michigan team, you know, obviously they're playing a ton of right teams because they're in the Big Ten. They're 5-1 and one against the spread against ranked opponents. So when you look at it that way, and I don't, I'm not sure – what Iowa is. I know it's not as good. I think it might be slightly worse. It might be like five and two or something like that. There are against, um, against the ranked opponents. Cause obviously they're playing a ton too within the conference. I just don't see this being a game where Iowa is going to be the Iowa team that again is usually on the upper echelon when we're looking at them. I think Michigan's going to pull them in their place. I honestly think that this is going to get out of hand. I think it's going to be a double digit wow. victory for Michigan. Yeah. I, I don't, I just I just foresee this people looking at this game and saying, yes, Iowa team can be really strong, and, and they're getting these points, and I feel like people are going to want to jump on the points. And uh, at one point, I thought I saw it seven and a half at one book. Um, wow. But then I've also, again, like you mentioned, seen it down as, as low as, I think, four. Um, I have it out at four and a half. I thought I jumped on it earlier. I thought it was going to grow and get bigger. But I just really think this Michigan team is on a different level. I think they I think they blow the doors off of Iowa um and they get the they get this W pretty easily tomorrow night. Um probably gonna be playing it for three units. I don't wanna put it out as a five unit bomb, but um yeah, I'm I'm gonna be pretty confident in this play and I think Michigan's gonna be able to put them away handily in this one. Yeah, I just I mean not that you had a bad handicap, but I just can't quite get there with a blowout. I mean, it wouldn't shock me because I do think that uh, we've seen Michigan at times look look that good. And as you said, like the best team in the country at times when you look at what they've done post the COVID outbreak where, you know, that's been such a profitable fade. You know, I had Iowa State yesterday against Baylor coming back and gosh, Iowa State was in that game, you know, into, mm-hmm. into the second half. So, you know, Michigan hasn't really even struggled there. I mean, I guess the first half against Wisconsin, the first game, they weren't great. But right. they won the game, and, you know, they go to Ohio State, and they win by five. And, um, you know, they 
pulled out a road win, um, you know, in the biggest game of the season there um, as a short dog. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely hard to find, you know, a blemish on the resume, obviously, because they've only lost one game. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just looking back at, you know, even some of these road games. I mentioned the Wisconsin game being on the road, um, you know, earlier this year, no real issues for them, you know, at Purdue, they win by 17, you know, so. Here's, I, here's the thing, they are so difficult to defend, because everybody on their team, except obviously Dickinson, who's playing inside more, everybody on their team, the other four guys, and obviously guys that are coming off the bench, they can all shoot from deep, they can all put the ball on the deck, and they all move without the ball incredibly well. So, like, anybody anybody that's the weaker defender on the team that they're going against is exposed. And we've talked about this Iowa team all year long and their lack of defense. Right. That's what's going to get them in trouble. And, again, I think that's what's going to happen. Like, Iowa, when they when they look like they're playing really well, they're blowing the doors off of teams because they're scoring a ton of points. And they're hitting a lot and nobody of nobody can keep up right. with them. Yeah. I mean, this Michigan team is going to keep up with them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when you look at them defensively, Michigan's number 12 in the country defensive uh, adjusted efficiency. So it's like, I mean, when you look at it that way, if they're able to, to bring this Iowa offense down to, you know, a, I don't want to say pedestrian, but they're not going to allow them to be at that top level. And when you flip it on the other side, Michigan's a top 10 offense, and Iowa's not a great defense. I mean, that, that can be a recipe for disaster. I think that's what we're going to have here. Yeah, and... I mean, I guess you, there's two ways you can look at this, what I'm about to say. I think all season we kind of looked at the top tier in the Big Ten being Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois, and Iowa. And I think it's pretty clear that Iowa is kind of the fourth wheel right now. I still would put them above the Purdue-Wisconsin, you know, yeah. Rutgers tier or whoever else you're putting in that second tier. Mm-hmm. I would still put Iowa, obviously, above that. But so I'm looking back at – Iowa's games against the other kind of tier one league opponents. And, you know, they lost by five at Illinois. They lost by four at home against Ohio State. And that's it. So they're 0 for 2 in these games against, they're going to play Ohio State again next. They only have the one game against Michigan and the one game against Illinois. Um, So I guess on one hand, you could kind of look at that and say, well, yeah, you know, when they've played other teams that are of this caliber, they haven't fared well, but it's not like they've gotten blown out. And part of me does think, well, the noise here is all around Michigan right now off this win and Ohio State to a degree. And all of a sudden now it feels like a very quiet four in a row that Iowa has won. So that, again, is not having me play Iowa, but is probably enough to keep me off Michigan. No, I, I, I completely understand if you're not confident in it. But, again, I just – I just really feel like they're playing the best basketball in the country right now, and I don't see Iowa being able to keep up with them with their lack of defense. So we shall see tomorrow night how it pans out. We shall see indeed. Let's move forward and go to another game in the Big Ten that I am interested in, uh, and it is the Northwestern Wildcats, uh, the lowly Wildcats of Northwestern traveling uh, to Minneapolis to take on the Golden Gophers of Minnesota. And we're seeing Northwestern catching four and a half right now on the road. Total in this game of 141. 
And I'm going to be honest, uh, this was one of those lines where mm-hmm. I, I just saw it and my eyes kind of gauged out of my sockets because I was just like, whoa, you know, uh, bubble team here in Northwestern, or excuse me, in Minnesota, who's been so good at home, save for that most recent game against Illinois. Mm-hmm. You know, Minnesota's been night and day for Minnesota home road. I mean, it's just unbelievable. 13-2 um, at home and 5-6 and six on the road. Right. So th- th- this is a team that obviously cannot lose this game. And they are coming off of a blowout loss at home against Illinois. And they're only giving 4.5 to one of the worst teams in the Big Ten. And when I dug into it more, I was just like, how do you lay points with Minnesota right now? They've lost three in a row, all by double digits. And I mentioned the game against Illinois. But the other two were against Maryland and Indiana, who are also in that kind of bubble-ish, middle-of-the-road tier in the league. And they're losing by double digits to those teams. So I do not think that Minnesota is just... They're not playing their best basketball right now, and that's a problem when you're on the bubble, uh, you know, trying to, you know, in need of wins, and you're coming in this cold. I, again, and the line kind of ticking down, it looked like, I think it opened five, and now we're seeing some four and a halves in the marketplace. And Northwestern's lost ten in a row, right? Like kind of a dead team, you'd think. Yeah. But then I looked more at the, against the spread numbers, which can always be the great equalizer. Last 10 against the spread, Northwestern 3-6-1 ATS, Minnesota 4-6 ATS. So not a, lot difference, difference, not a lot of differences there. Northwestern did just go to Illinois and only lose by seven. That was one of their covers. Um, of course, Illinois, one of those opponents that Minnesota recently played. And another one of the opponents that Minnesota recently played, played also happens to appear on Northwestern schedule recently, and that was Indiana. Northwestern should have won that game out, right? I had them. Fortunately, I cashed getting four points. They lose by three. Uh, but, again, I mentioned Minnesota losing by double digits against Indiana. So the bottom line is this is more of a fate of Minnesota, and I think there's going to be people that look at this and say, oh, bubble team, they have to win. You know I don't like playing the bubble teams mm-hmm. just solely out of their desperation. And I think that's the only reason you'd play Minnesota right now because they just are not uh, playing good basketball at all. Uh, and Northwestern's been competitive, as I said, against some teams similar to, if not better than Minnesota recently. Bit of a funky line as well that has ticked down. All of it has me on the Wildcats. Certainly isn't my favorite play of the ones we're giving out here, but it's enough for me to play for one unit. Northwestern, plus four and a half. Yeah, I like, I like your handicap on this one. I'm not on it, but same thing. The line doesn't make sense, and I just want to correct myself. I said that Minnesota was 13-2 and two at home and 5-6 and six on the road. That's utterly impossible. It's way too many games. Uh, they are actually 0-8 <laughs> on the road, which is right. really, really scary. Um, and you look on the other side, Northwestern only 1-8 and eight on the road, but when you go to against the spread, only four and five. Um, yeah, this line just seems funky, like you're saying. And Minnesota being on the bubble, they might be a little tight, you know, because they know that they have For to sure. get this win. And we're, you know, Northwestern, they ain't going anywhere. So um, just a chance to beat a decent opponent. Yeah, if I had to lean either side here, I would definitely lean with the Wildcats in this one. Yeah, maybe this is kind of the, uh, the very uh, kind of focal point of my 
you know, kind of fade bubble team thing I've been preaching the last few pods is like, if the current form doesn't suggest that they're even on the bubble, then I just think, uh, you know, it can be a little trappy just to bet them off of that by itself. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as you said, Northwestern is not going anywhere. And something tells me that, as you said, Minnesota could be a little tight, maybe maybe play down to the competition a little bit. And mm-hmm. I said Northwestern has – they've lost all those games that I'm talking about that they've covered in. Like I said, they've lost 10 in a row. So I'm, I'm not going to sprinkle the money line here, but – uh, you know, this feels like a last possession, and if Minnesota wins, like, they win by one or two, and then, like, you don't come away from it thinking any better about Minnesota. I think yeah. that's the kind of game that they would win. So, yeah. let's move forward and step out of the Big Ten as uh, you're going to go speaking. We talked about some mid-majors uh, earlier in the pod, and you're going to take us to one. It's the West Coast Conference, Loyola Marymount. Traveling to Pepperdine. Pepperdine laying four and a half at home. Total of 144 and a half. You like the home chalk again, Bill? Tell us why you like Pepperdine. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been playing Pepperdine a, a lot recently for some reason. Don't know why, but it tends to happen from time to time. Uh, but Pepperdine coming off a loss. They're six and one against the spread after a loss. Uh, Little and Marymount. They're only one and two as away dogs. And we'll uh, next game, they're going against the number one team in the country, Gonzaga, to end the regular season. Uh, you got to figure that they're going to treat that like their national championship if they can somehow sure. miraculously knock off Gonzaga when the spread's probably going to be like 35. Um, <laughs> but, hey, look, we saw, granted, it was off a big layoff, and I know congrats to you. You were on the other side of it going against fading that Baylor team. Um, off of their layoff, but look at that. I mean, as much as we talk about them, it's still you still have to play the games, and it happens. You know, like it, they, these big time programs, these top level teams, they sometimes take losses to teams that they really shouldn't. And again, Loyola, this is a spot yeah. where I feel like sometimes lo- we forget that it is still eighteen to twenty two year old right. kids. Right, exactly. So they're looking ahead, possibly to Gonzaga there, Pepperdine, uh, not doing the same. Uh, they're just trying to cement their spot in the conference tournament seating, and I just like where the way Pepperdine has been playing as of late. Now, it's not like they're blowing the doors off of people, and when I look at Kempom, they actually have this very, very tight matchup with Loyola being uh, ranked 115 and, and Pepperdine being ranked 113. Um, but some of the things that, that kind of stuck out to me uh, when I was looking at it real quick was the fact that, one, again, we talk about teams we like to play that, that, that get to the line and can convert. Uh, the Pepperdine team is shooting close to 73%, sorry, sorry, 77% from the stripe. Uh, they don't get there a ton, but obviously when they do, uh, they do a great job of it. Um, and then overall, everything's pretty tight. It's just, I think Pepperdine, again, is going to be in the right headspace for this one, whereas uh, Louisville and Mounts, I mean, why do they care about this game, right? Like, it's Pepperdine. It's just another conference opponent. But, you know, the next game, the last game of the season, you know, outside of the conference tournament is against the number one team in the country. You know, let's get up for that game. I think it's look ahead for them. I like Pepperdine in this one. Not my favorite play, like you like to say. Um, I'll probably be only playing it for about one unit. Uh, but I do like Pepperdine in this one. Yeah, nothing for me here. But as I look more into this game, I definitely think uh, Pepperdine is the only side you can play. First off, uh, we'll talk. We've talked about this ad nauseum, and I had Arkansas tonight. 
but anytime you see the team with the inferior straight up record favored, which is what we have here, Pepperdine ten and ten, Loyola Marymount eleven and seven, uh, and yet Pepperdine laying four and a half, I think that's, that's kind of the favorites that we like to find ourselves on. Um, so that's one thing, and then uh, you know Pepperdine did just uh, cover a short number again, a short-ish number against St. Mary's, uh, getting five and a half and covering by the hook in that one. Uh, so, uh, you know, playing up to a better team now, you would think uh, if that effort carries over from Monday to Thursday, uh, they could uh, thrive in this spot. And, and, and I definitely think the look-ahead thing with Loyola Marymount is real, right? Like, Loyola Marymount, as I said, only 11-7 and seven straight up. So it's not like this is a Drake where it's like, oh, well, they've only lost one game or whatever, or they've undefeated or, you know, whatever it may be. They can't slip up, you know, because they there might be another team in the, you know, obviously Gonzaga is in the West Coast Conference too. Like it's not like you have that going on where, you know, Loyola Marymount is one of these teams that might be a mid-major bubble team. Like that's not the case either. So when you're a non-West Coast Conference team and you have Gonzaga up next, um, I think that that would naturally lend itself to a look-ahead spot as well. So. Um, I think you're 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 on point with a lot of your uh, a lot of your reasons, um, and it's not your favorite play. It's not one of my plays, but I'll certainly uh, wish you good luck with Pepperdine. Let's stay out west um, and go to the Mountain Time Zone, where uh, we have uh, a pick that I'm interested in: uh, the University of Southern California Trojans traveling to Boulder to take on the Colorado Buffaloes. Um, Colorado laying two and a half at home, total of 136 and a half here in Colorado. And I'm going to back the Buffaloes here, uh, kind of speaking back to what we were, what I just mentioned with the inferior straight up record team being favored. That's what we have here. Uh, obviously with Colorado laying a short number, but you know, here comes red hot USC, right? I mean, everybody, that was a national televised game on FS1. On Monday night, Bill, I think you were on it uh, with UFC, given the four points. I took them as well. You were? Yes, I was. Yeah. Okay, so I took them as well and, uh, you know, cashed and really uh, were in control of the game the whole way. So the Trojans are are coming into this game red hot, and they're 8-2 straight up last 10, 7-3 ATS last 10. Um. And now here they are as an underdog. Uh, and definitely not, like, I, I think to a degree, you know, there's just a too-good-to-be-true element here with USC. You know, whereas the Buffaloes are coming in at just 6-4 and four straight up last 10, 3-7 and seven ATS last 10. So, you know, you'd think this number would at least be flipped. I'm not saying, like, Colorado's still having a decent season. So I'm not saying I was expecting... USC to be laying five or six here, but I certainly thought they'd be favored. Um, and so when I see this number, you know, Trojans are also six and one straight up on the road. So it's not even like that's the problem. Right. Uh, I really thought USC would be favored. And when I saw Colorado as the favorite, you know, it definitely tipped me off to that side. Uh, the Trojans, uh, probably a little fat and happy after that, after that Oregon win. You know, they're going to make the tournament. Uh, I don't think they have to worry about that. Uh, so it's not like, you know, they, they need max effort and every night can't overlook anyone. I think, you know, maybe they do overlook Colorado a little. And then one last thing, 
with Colorado, we talk a lot about teams in look-ahead spots and maybe not covering uh, if they're a, a hefty favorite or not even a hefty favorite, but you know, winning the game straight up still and how that kind of sometimes can be like a bet on when they're, they get to the big game that they might have been looking ahead to. Well, that's what happened with Colorado. They did not cover. They won by four as a six-and-a-half-point road favorite last game against Oregon State. Uh, and so here they are now. They're la- the Buffs end with regular season with USC and UCLA at home. They're going to win at least one of those games. I think it's here. Colorado minus two and a half for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on this. I don't have it as a play yet, but I'm, I'm going to be putting it out. Uh, most of the reasons that you stated, the fact that they're favored as a ranked team versus a ranked team. And this is the only ranked team they have left on their schedule. So you say both of these teams are likely in the tournament. Obviously, USC is in. Um, you'd like to think Colorado will probably be able to get in and this is going to be a big resume booster being at home, knocking off another ranked team, top 20 team in USC here. So I like the spot just like you do in Colorado. I'll be playing them probably for at least a unit, um, potentially going to two, depending on what that line does. Uh, the fact that, they, again, they opened as favorites uh, kind of shocked me. So go Buffs tomorrow night. Love to hear a little agreement there on my play in the Conference of Champions. Let's finish up in the Pac-12, uh, where we start with a consensus play and we end with a consensus play. By the way, Bill, no crossfire today, which makes me feel good about maybe getting a sweep here on my four picks. <laughs> You've I been beating me up pretty good all year on those. so Maybe maybe I'll flip it right now. We'll go off the consensus and we'll make it a crossfire at the last <laughs> second. Gosh, that would be something. But uh, nonetheless... Not happening. Okay, I was going to say, unless you actually <laughs> intend on doing that, we have UCLA... Traveling to Salt Lake City, the tro- the excuse me, the Bruins laying one on the road against the Utah Utes, total of one thirty six and a half. Uh, Bill, I have a feeling we'll have similar rationale here as we're both on the Utes as the short dog. I'll let you fire away first. Yeah, again, this is this is a line that doesn't seem to uh, to align with what should be going on in this game. Um, we were both pretty high on UCLA preseason. The I don't want to say they really underachieved. I would just say they kind of been mediocre sure. um, yeah. compared to what we expected. Uh, we well, let's think face we... it, at this point, I'd probably be surprised if UCLA got to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I Yes, I, I agree with you there. Yeah. Um, it just, again, it doesn't make sense to me. And even when I'm looking at Kempom rankings here, um, it, 80, 82nd in the country, they have Utah, 44th UCLA. I mean, that's a big discrepancy. Um, and the same thing when across, almost across the board when you're looking at uh, all the rankings as far as you know effective field goal percentage, uh, they're stronger overall offensive efficiency. They're 24th compared to Utah's 69th. Defensively, they're 77th compared to Utah's 103rd. Like it just doesn't seem like anything really makes sense here to why the line would be so so short. And it's not like we're looking at a Utah team um, that has been knock your socks off at home um, to where, like, right. they should be getting all this respect. You know, if they were a team you know, similar to, like we said, with Minnesota, who's been so, so strong at home, you know, that, that warrants this line. I mean, granted, yeah, they're 6-3 and three, uh, straight up, but they're only 4-5 and five against the spread um, at home. And on the road, they're 3-7 and seven straight up to, compared to 4-6. and six. Like, There's nothing there that really sticks out to you. Um, and even when you look at the other side of it, I guess UCLA, 
you can kind of make the argument they're four and four on the road to 500 team, but only two and six against the spread. But ultimately, this really comes down to me, for me at least, is the number being so short that it catches my eye. Um, away favorites. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a small number, but they are favored. UCLA, they're only one in five as road favorites. Uh, and the home dog, Utah, 500, no big deal. Um, just the fact that the line is just so, so super short to me seems out of whack. And whenever I see that, I like to play the other side. Again, not one of my favorite plays. Yes, it's a consensus play. doesn't mean that I'm going to max it. Um, I'm probably going to be playing it for just one unit just to do because of the funky line. Yeah, and the funky line, you you, you kind of covered that. I, w- I was going to get to that as well as a uh, reason for I'm on Utah. And, and just to give some more context to that, Bruins are 16-5 and five overall, straight up, Utah 9-10. and 10. So, again, it's not like UCLA has been underachieving by any stretch. It's just right. maybe while a lot of people thought they were the heavy favorite in the Big – or the Pac-12 or maybe right there with Arizona State, who there's an underachiever. But, um, you know, it, it, it looks like UCLA, USC, Colorado – are kind of all in this one little cluster atop the conference, and nobody's really – maybe USC is separating itself a little, but after they lose to Colorado, that'll change that. So um, anyway, um, UCLA has also, while having the far superior straight-up record for the season to Utah, uh, they've also won three in a row, and Utah's lost three in a row. So, you know, it's not even like this like, – like on some, one hand, you could look at this number and say – when you get a line like this with teams with drastically different straight-up records, oftentimes the team with the better straight-up record just comes in having not played that well. And maybe the team with the 500 record is just, like, starting to find its way. Like, that's not what's going on here. Yet, you still have the line at one. So, again, speaks to the funkiness of the number. UCLA, you kind of mentioned it, Bill, at 1-5 and five on the road as uh, road chalk against the spread. For the year, 2-6 uh, and six total on the road. So uh, that's against the number. So, again, uh, just not playing well uh, away from Pauly's Pavilion. And, uh, you know, I know, gosh, one of those losses was back in the season opener against San Diego State that we were both on as a consensus. I believe they were a short road favorite there. Um, but, anyway, one last thing that I dig, that I did dig into a little, uh, just as far as, trying to come up with some sense as to why this number is where it is. The adjusted defensive efficiency rating of Utah's opponents this year would come in at 59th overall in uh, Ken Palm's defensive efficiency strength of schedule rankings. Mm -hmm. UCLA defensive efficiency is 77th. So, you know, I I think you the the moral of the story here is I think uh, Utah's going to be able to score uh, Mm -hmm. at least enough to keep this game competitive, and if this game is competitive down the stretch, we talk a lot about free throw shooting. It's not drastic, but it's enough to catch my eye. Utah, 77.6% from the free throw line. UCLA, 72%. Maybe that's only the difference of one or two free throws here or there, but in a short line, that all matters. Uh, and, and obviously in the overall rankings, you know, when I say the percentages, you think might think, oh, five and a half percentage points, not a big deal. But that can actually be a pretty drastic difference in the uh, overall rankings with all these teams, obviously, in Division One men's basketball. So uh, just some things on my end uh, as far as I like the Utes as well. Any final word here, Bill? 
The other thing I would say is if you're really not sure you want to play this game, if we weren't able to convince you between both of our handicaps here, I would say that within the first half of the first half, maybe the first eight to ten minutes of this game, I think you're going to have a really good idea of what's going on. I think if UCLA is going to win this, this game. Is, we talk about it, this all the time with yeah. the line. It's, like, it's going to be a game where they're just going to they're going to put them away and it's going to be like, all right, all right, we were wrong. You know, the short line was a short line. It was a gift. Unfortunately, we thought it was a trap. Right. Um, but I, but I, if, if this like, game's tight, like it wouldn't surprise me either way if the score is like twenty to five after five minutes. Of this right. Game. Right. Exactly. Just, which team's going to be have the twenty? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But again, if it's going to be a tight game, though, I, I think that favors Utah here. I think the only way we see UCLA. Uh, come out on top here is if they're just putting him away early and just keeping him at at arm's length the entire way. But right. I don't and, and foresee that happening. Talk about these lines, like I know we were both on Maryland getting like three or four at home against Ohio State, and mm-hmm. you know, like I'm actually catching the highlights now. I, I did not see the whole game, but uh, I had Arkansas tonight minus one. Granted, Arkansas is a ranked team, but they were mm-hmm. laying a short number against Alabama. Uh, and it looks, and Arkansas won the game by 15. And my guess is that most of the way Arkansas had the lead tonight, as uh, I see, they were only up one and a half. So maybe that's yeah, a bad guess. Yeah, and they guess. were, and they were, yeah, but they were up like double, like ten, between nine and eleven points for majority of the first half. Right. So um, when we're saying like, oh, it's a funky line because you know this team whose straight up record is ten games worse or whatever is like pick them or they're a short dog. That team often needs to get off to a good start in order for, like, the funkiness and the trap that we're thinking the book is kind of suckering you into in order for any of that to come into play. Because if it doesn't, then particularly with this game, like you said, Bill, UCLA is just going to get up. And then all of a sudden, you know, like I said, UCLA won three in a row. Utah's lost three in a row. Utah could fade pretty quickly. UCLA could step on the gas and be up 20 at halftime. Right, and that's going to be, look, I'll give the example. You mentioned you were on Arkansas tonight, as was I. Um, I had that as a three-unit play. Well, my other three-unit play was Wake Forest. <laughs> Same thing, very, very shady line. Started to dip down, opened at four when I got it, dropped all the way down to two and a half, and they got absolutely slaughtered by a very mediocre Clemson team. But you knew pretty early because they were down – like 14 in the blink of an eye, and it was like they just don't have those kind of horses to come back in that game. Um, so that's kind of what we're saying here is early on in the game with these funky lines, you really can typically tend to see what's going to happen and how it's going to play out. And if you are on the wrong side to start, do not, do not, do not chase the live line as yeah, it goes. No. You're just going to get burned more. Yeah, there's definitely some variance in these games for sure. Yep, exactly. No. There he is, Lucha Larry. You know him as at Larry's Locks 2 on Gambling Twitter. I know him as Bill Christie. Uh, Bill, always fun. Hopefully we can chat again over the weekend. Absolutely. Hey, if you guys get a chance, check out my website, larryslocks.com. been trying to add some resources to it to help you do your own handicapping. We'll be adding some more features to it as I go uh, between blogs, uh, some video stuff. And, hey, if you got suggestions, Shoot me a DM with those suggestions. Always looking to find ways to help everybody do the same thing that we look to do every time we put this podcast out, and that is to beat the book. That is the only enemy in this business, despite what others might think. (laughs) There he is, uh, Bill Christie again. Uh, My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all of my picks at Undercover Greg. 
Uh, give the podcast a follow as well uh, at full underscore slate underscore pod. Our producer, Alex, manages that Twitter and uh, seems to uh, make it pretty uh, pretty fun and entertaining. So uh, shoot the podcast a follow as well. Again, this has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. Everyone, enjoy your Thursdays. And, of course, please play responsibly. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late. And that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.